Hello, this is Mary Lindo. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast today, and my prayer is that you will be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Sit back now with a cup of tea or your favorite coffee and listen to what the Lord has to say to us today. Hello, beloved children of God. Today's podcast is titled, A Promise for Those Displaced and Brokenhearted. This is the story of Mephibosheth. It's a promise for those that are displaced and brokenhearted. I'd like to tell you that the Lord was tremendously intense with me about the preparation and study that went along with the prophetic insights and words that are intermingled with this message. I'd like to encourage you to read it all and listen to it all thoroughly and not just to skim through it quickly. We are in an hour when the Word and the Spirit are being brought together to demonstrate the ultimate power of Christ. Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's son. This is out of 2 Samuel 9, verses 11 through 13. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate endlessly at the king's table, even though he was crippled in both feet. Now let's look at Ephesians 5:25b through 32. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy and completed, to perfect her by the washing with water through the word, and to establish her to himself as an exultant church without imperfection or wrinkle or any other defect but holy and guiltless. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. What does the name Mephibosheth mean? It's translated meaning one who suffers shame. The name was a joining by two members of the family of Saul, his son and his grandson. Let's look at this man, Mephibosheth. His life is a picture of a life of disaster, disappointment, and anxiety and you think you have troubles. In reading the story, we already know that Mephibosheth is motherless and fatherless because he's under the care of a nurse. Samuel, 2 Samuel 4.4 also says that at the age of five, his father, who was Jonathan, David's best friend, was killed in battle along with Jonathan's father, King Saul. Now to add injury to insult, we are told that when Mephibosheth's nurse heard the news of the murder of Jonathan and Saul, she panicked as she ran from harm's way. And in her running, the nurse dropped this child, Mephibosheth, causing him to become crippled. So the baby prince, who was in the line of succession to the throne, became a crippled beggar, living as an orphan in hiding. What should have been a life of wealth became a life of misery, tragedy, and heartbreak. While his family was being assassinated, murdered and banished, his future as a king would never be fulfilled. And more than that, Mephibosheth was also permanently scarred. 
We can relate to Mephibosheth being a victim of sad circumstances. Perhaps you can even testify to being victimized by others' mistakes for yourself. Like Mephibosheth, who trusted his nurse, some of us can relate to being dropped by those in whom we've placed our trust. We're living crippled lives because a person in whom we loved and gave our hearts to has dropped us. Just like Mephibosheth, we know what it feels like to be dropped by someone or something that we've trusted. Our lives are still suffering from the crippling effects of those disappointments. Everyone has been dropped in some way, and if you haven't, you will be. Some are still so proud in heart that they never admit to any weakness and therefore shame those around them who stumble their way to the cross of redemption. It's no wonder that we are afraid to trust again because we've been lied to or used as scapegoats for the escape of others who hide their sins and egos behind loud opinions about how others should behave or might have done better in the way they had handled the things that have happened in their life's journey. Many are afraid to take chances because of past failures. And many more are afraid to follow their heart because the plain idea of making one more mistake just sends shivers through them. We just can't handle another anguish, and sometimes it feels as though we are hanging on by a very fine thread. If God is a merciful God, we wonder when we're going to start seeing the mercy. Our words echo the psalmist as our soul cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, Lord. But the thing is, there is mercy. There is mercy. If you will see it. If you and I will allow that mercy to saturate our souls. If we'll see that we have an important role to play in that mercy. In fact, mercy is really the only reason that you and I are existing today. Whether you know it or not. You are here today because at some level, consciously or subconsciously, you know that God has been and is merciful to you. And you are expressing your appreciation for that mercy. You are here today because you know that despite the hurts that have been inflicted upon you, you want to trust, you want to go on, and you want to find hope. The truth is that there is a, both a bit of Mephibosheth and a bit of King David in all of us, and perhaps in some a bit of King Saul's fear of the loss of power or position and need for control and honor. That is, we have been hurt, but we have also been healed. We have been helped and we have also had the opportunity to help others. We really have received mercy and we can really offer mercy as well. When Mephibosheth was called into David's presence, he was terrified. And why shouldn't he be as the grandson of dead King Saul? Mephibosheth was an heir to the throne that David now possessed. So his first thought was that the king would kill him because he might see him as a threat. And secondly, Mephibosheth has experienced little in his life that would make him believe that something good could happen to him. So he expected injury. His own words were, What is your servant? That you should look on a dead dog such as I. And then King David sent people 
and brought him out of the house. Mephibosheth must have been terrified when messengers from David knocked at his door and demanded that he come with them to see the king. In the back of his mind, he must have constantly anticipated the day when David would do as other kings did and murder every possible enemy to his throne. Up to this point, Mephibosheth and David never had a relationship, and it was because Mephibosheth wanted it that way. He avoided David out of unfounded fears. But David removes the fears of Mephibosheth. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then Mephibosheth bowed himself and said, What is your servant, that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Mephibosheth didn't feel worthy of such generosity. He considered himself a dead dog, meaning a worthless and insignificant person. All the years of hiding from the king and living in fear and poverty made Mephibosheth think of himself as worthless. But then came the offer of mercy. David didn't want to add to Mephibosheth's misery. David offered mercy. Mephibosheth, in his amazement and skepticism, is restored. No, he didn't retrieve the ability to walk. Mephibosheth's weakness did not vanish. The end of the scripture is very clear about that. He was crippled in both feet is what it says, but he was given a place at the table of the king. This goes far beyond giving Mephibosheth what was rightly his. The honor of a close relationship with the king is something to be treasured. David gave Mephibosheth the honor of a close relationship with the king. The miserable, unfair, undeserved events of his past didn't change, but he was re-established within the kingdom and given an opportunity to live out the rest of his life with dignity because David the king was merciful. David knows that he has been an object of God's mercy in his life, that he has already been delivered from extreme circumstances and from his own unpredictable, sinful behavior. David is merciful because he has received mercy, a melody that will continue throughout David's entire life, even when David didn't deserve mercy. And on another level, David knows that as he acts as the status of king, also by God's anointing, and not his own skill, that he must model the mercy of God within the kingdom. There are blemishes on the bride of Christ, blemishes on a crippled bride. And just like in Ephesians 5, these were the blemishes of the crippled bride. She is much like Mephibosheth, hiding and fearful. And the king of our souls, Jesus, restores and cleanses us and brings us to his table as his bride and covers our lameness, our disfigurement under the linens of the bridegroom's table where no one dare point out our imperfections. We are perfected by his mercy. David knew that human beings and a society that exists without forgiveness and mercy are already doomed 
to self-destruction by their bitter doubt. Jesus died for this very reason so that we might model his kind of gutsy forgiveness and mercy. And so the story falls to us as emerging leaders in the king's kingdom. We who are like Mephibosheth, who have been injured by dreadful circumstances and by careless people, and we who are like David have the opportunity to be instruments of mercy. We who are like Mephibosheth and David who have received mercy, and we who must decide if we will live lies of resentment because of prejudiced facts, or live lies of gratitude because of undeserved and unexpected mercy. The story falls now to us. But make no mistake, as we have been victimized, we have also been delivered. Remember David the king had to decide if his kingdom would be one of dread or of grace. David had to decide if his realm was going to be established on grounds of vengeance or the refinement of mercy. In being an instrument of grace, David is setting the stage for his great-great-great-grandson, Jesus, who will be the ultimate expression of mercy to all of us. In the entire history of humanity, no one was more misunderstood or viciously abused than David's ultimate successor, Jesus. Yet, no person was ever more merciful. As heirs of David and Christ, it is now up to us to put into practice the very treasure that David honored in this story. Loyalty, respect, unwavering love, and the well-being of others. Like David did for Mephibosheth, God has honored and blessed us with the promise of eternal life, inviting us to dine at his table in his kingdom eternally. Also, God does this not because of any goodness upon our part, but because of Jesus. And that is why we are here today and why we are part of the bride of Jesus Christ. We are here because we have been broken. And because he has restored and is restoring us by his mercy, he invites us to his table. And we must look around to see who else needs a place at the table on his behalf. Not out of our great earned reputations or past accomplishments. No, we as models of the fatherly and motherly compassion of a heavenly king invite others to the table of covering and honor. We bring mercy expressed with tender hearts. The best person to want to be like is not always the strongest, the wisest, or the best looking. When we become like Mephibosheth, we can truly understand mercy and grace. So what is it like to be like Mephibosheth? What does it mean? First of all, realizing that the king sought me out. Number two, understanding what I deserved from the king. Number three, acknowledging the ones who brought me to the king. Number four, humbling myself in the sight of the king. Number five, rejoicing in the words of the king. Number six, accepting the provision of the king. And number seven, adjusting my life to the requests of the king. In Psalm 51:12, it says, Restore to me again the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Father, we come to you 
admitting our lameness, our brokenness, the deformed and crippled places in our lives that perhaps no one else sees, but you see them all. And you've cloaked us and covered us. You've shielded us. We come to your table, Lord, and you hide us under the shadow of your wing where no one sees our own self-doubt and brokenness. For you have become our restorer, our healer, our deliverer. Lord, we feast at the table with you. We feast upon the morsels of your word that go deep down into the insides of our lives. We ask you, Father, to continue to do your work. And Lord, let our hands become the hands that are extended, bringing others to the table to feast upon the goodness of your promise. Let us be like David, Lord, that we would bring them and cover those that have been shattered and broken, those that have been tormented, humiliated, shamed, exiled, sabotaged, spiritually assassinated, emotionally assassinated, character assassinated, and instead make room that they might learn what it means to be favored by the King. Lord, we bring this all to you today in Jesus' name, and we ask that you will make us your instruments of peace. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.